Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, great. Are you excited to talk about today's movie? I'm honestly pretty excited. I I I am just I'm over the moon. It's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. Yeah, I know this week you've been pretty amped about it and I know that you've been having to bite your tongue pretty much all week cuz you've just wanted to talk about it. So I'm I'm glad the day has come that you can <laughs> finally get it out of my system. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, then I say we just get to it. I say let's do it. Well, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because, well, yeah, the theater moves around. It's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And for our first movies, we're going with the classics and have deferred to one of the definitive names in horror culture and are using online horror magazine Bloody Disgusting's list of the best horror movies of all time. And this week, we're doing another classic. Another classic. There's a reason. It's num number two. On number the list. two. We are almost through it. And this week, we're doing The Thing. The Thing. Full of many things. <laughs> so many things. You won't believe how many things. You won't believe the things you see with your things on your face. Your eyes. We, of course, have to go ahead and stop you right here and say if you haven't seen the thing and you want to before we get into the discussion, now is a good time to go ahead and pause. Go check out the movie because, of course, as always, we're going to spoil everything here. So, of course, go check it out. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's a great movie. I hadn't seen it. This was my first watch myself. So if you're like me and it's your first watch, I say check it out before listening to us. You, you have to experience it. But I know some of you guys aren't huge fans of, of watching horror first person, and you like to live vicariously through us, which I get it. I get it. We have great, great fancy lives. We do so many things. <laughs> are, are you still talking about us? I, I was trying to let the people know how grand our lives are. I don't think our relationship should be based on lies. We should be honest with the people. Okay, okay, fine. We literally do nothing but sit around and watch movies. But I'm just saying, if you don't want to watch the movie, I get it. You can still hang out, listen to us chat about it. But here's your warning. We're about to spoil everything. Here we go. Spoil warning is now. <laughs> Engaged. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into the wiki. So The Thing is a 1982 American science fiction horror film directed by John Carpenter and written by Bill Lancaster. 
based on the 1938 John W. Campbell Jr. novella, Who Goes There? It tells the story of a group of American researchers in Antarctica who encounter the Thing, a parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates, then imitates other organisms. The film has a huge ensemble cast led by Kurt Russell as the team's helicopter pilot R.J. McGreedy and features Wilford Brimley as Dr. Blair, T.K. Carter as Knowles, David Clennon as Palmer, Keith David as Childs, Richard Dysart as Dr. Copper, Charles Hallahan as Norris, Peter Maloney as Binnings, Richard Mauser as Clark, Donald Moffat as Gary, Joel Polis as Fuchs, and Thomas Waits as Windows. It's a really big cast. Production began in the mid-1970s as a more faithful adaptation of the original novella, as opposed to the 1951 film adaptation, The Thing from Another World, which was hampered by a lack of technology to accomplish the visual effects detailed in Campbell's story. Filming lasted roughly 12 weeks, beginning in August 1981, and took place in Juneau, Alaska and Stewart, British Columbia, as well as refrigerated sets in Los Angeles that were kept at a constant 40 degrees in order to add realism of an Arctic environment since you could see the actor's breath. Of the film's $15 million budget, $1.5 million was spent on Rob Bottin's creature effects, although I've heard it was as much as $3 million. The thing was released in 1982 to a very negative response. It was described as instant junk and proposed as the most hated film of all time by film magazine Cinefantastique. Reviews both praise the special effects achievements and criticize their visual repulsiveness, while others found the characterization poorly realized. The film only earned a mere $19.6 million during its theatrical run, but finally found its audience when released on home video and television, and in the years following, it has been reappraised as one of the best science fiction and horror films ever made. The Thing has spawned a successful marketing franchise across multiple entertainment genres, including a 1982 novelization, haunted house attractions, board games, comic books, a video game, and a 2011 prequel film of the same name. A remake was announced in 2020. Ooh. Don't say ooh. Unless you're going to say ooh. <laughs> it's a different ooh. You know, I'm certainly not opposed to remakes. Obviously, this film itself technically is a remake, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's a different kind of remake. You know, Carpenter classifies this as a reimagining yeah. because this one actually follows more closely to the original story mm -hmm. than the, the one that was done in 51. So I would definitely be open to a continuation of the story, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but a straight out remake when it's already been done this well. Yeah. It just, there's no point in it because mm -hmm. you're never going to do it better. Yeah. 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 I agree. I do wish that I think if anything that it was either picking up basically where we leave off or even, you know, like we go back with some travelers nowadays mm -hmm. and you know, shit hasn't gone to rust and now we're seeing things pick back up again. That would be interesting to see as well. Now I, don't still don't know if it would really hold up but it would still be interesting to see how that story is expanded but yeah I, I do agree that I think having that story remade I don't necessarily think it's 
um, needed, but I would be interested just to see it and see what they decide to do with it, basically. Yeah, and of course, if you have seen this film, you know it definitely ends where it could certainly stand a sequel. Uh, we could definitely carry that story on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll just, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But right now, let's focus on the positive, which is this movie, yeah. which is fantastic. So why don't you tell us the synopsis? The synopsis alone definitely intrigues me, but I, I, I don't know if it does the, the movie justice. But here, let's get into it. It says, in remote Antarctica, a group of American research scientists are disturbed at their base camp by a helicopter shooting at a sled dog. When they take in the dog, it brutally attacks both human beings and canines in the camp, and they discover that the beast can assume the shape of its victims. A resourceful helicopter pilot and the camp doctor lead the camp crew in a desperate, gory battle against the vicious creature before it picks them all off one by one. Now, yes, that sounds good, but it's so much better than just that description. (laughs) It does get so much better. My favorite thing in the horror genre, the thing that scares me the most is is going to be more leaning toward the suspense of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like I said in my last episode, I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. I love that suspense, that building of tension uh, till you reach the crescendo of, of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And man, when a movie does it right, it is so good. And this is just textbook how to build suspense. Yeah. Because the whole thing... It's a whole different kind of whodunit. Mm-hmm. You don't know who it is. There's there's no way to tell. Yeah, yeah. Just by looking at someone, whether or not they're the thing. So this deserves way more of an explanation. So we we got to go. We got to get into it yeah. now. Of course, I'm going to start out by saying, just like last week, <laughs> huge fan of this film. I have a lot of facts. I'm going to try and keep myself in check. I didn't do a very good job last episode. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we'll see what we can do. So we're starting out with one of your favorites. It's a spaceship. Yeah, a spaceship. I, th- I thought it was funny uh, with this opening scene. You were like, okay, so I know there's aliens. This is the only alien reference that we really get. Like you automatically had to preface, like, give it a chance. You're not a huge fan of the whole alien thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I have to say... We'll sit here and gush about this movie and talk about what everything is worth gushing about. But if 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 I'm going to get into an alien movie, a sci-fi movie, a sci-fi horror movie, it it's got to be like this. And I think it it's because it does exactly what you just said, which is take on more of less of a science fiction um, role, more of like a psychological thriller role, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, and yeah, I like something that can take something that normally to me is very, and I, and I know this maybe is a hot topic, I don't know, but something that's a little bit fantastical to me, which, which is sci-fi movies. Um, and it's, it's hard for me to, uh, I guess suspend that disbelief and get into it and, Mm -hmm. and find myself scared, you know, where with slasher movies and serial killer movies, I can put myself there. I'm like, yeah, that's fucking scary to have somebody stalking you. And chasing you with a knife. (laughs) Uh, But it's hard for me to do that in these scenarios. But but when it's done well like this movie, that doesn't matter. You can completely ignore the fact that this is about aliens because it's more about 
human survival. Exactly. And aside from this opening shot Mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. you're literally seeing a spaceship careening through space, uh, and it's implied that it's crash landing Mm -hmm. onto Earth. Aside from that, and then later on the movie, we actually do see the spaceship again where it has crashed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Aside from that, it doesn't seem like an alien film because it doesn't take place in space. No, no. I think, honestly, if it wasn't for those spaceships, like, it would almost be like a science experiment, like, gone wrong. Sure. You could just as easily replace the alien trope with say a demonic Mm -hmm. one oh yeah absolutely so this fits into horror in very many ways Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and i guess the the big point of all that to say is i know that when movies come at me and they they tout the sci-fi label i can be easily turned away and so for those that haven't seen this movie and maybe it's because it is touted as a sci-fi horror i would say definitely still give it a chance because that took a backseat for me very easily. It it becomes a non-issue very quickly. So if you haven't seen it because you're not a huge fan of like aliens or sci-fi or whatever, I, st- I definitely say still give it a chance. I, yeah, I just thought that was important to mention because I know that that's kind of a big issue for some people that don't really enjoy alien movies. Well, of course, another thing that we need to address before we get too far into it is the music mm-hmm. from this movie. It, it's... If you've seen it, then you know that music is very distinctive. It's that dun dun, you know, just it again, somebody comes in and does it with just basically two notes. Mm-hmm. And it's just this melodic tone and it's mostly synthesizers. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, your classic John Carpenter synth heavy soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And Carpenter, of course, is famous mostly for his music from Halloween. However, this is the first of John Carpenter's films, which he did not score himself. With the luxury of a big studio backing him for the first time, Carpenter splurged and hired famed Italian film composer Eno Morricone. When Morricone turned over what he had written for the film, Carpenter wasn't completely satisfied. He then played the theme that he himself had wrote for his last movie, Escape from New York, and asked if Morricone could make it a little more similar to that style. So what Morricone ended up returning back was what you end up hearing in the film, and it's basically just Morricone doing his impression of Carpenter. So it's not Carpenter, but it's kind of him. Mm -hmm. It's in the style of Carpenter. Yeah. But what's even more interesting about that is after the film was initially a huge flop, this film just did not do well at all at the box office. The soundtrack was nominated for a Razzie Award for the worst score. Uh, And for those of you who don't know what the Razzies are, they are awards that are given out every year for the worst that Hollywood had to offer that year. Mm -hmm. And so this was nominated for the worst score. However, Morricone's unused music for this film, the, the music that Carpenter turned down and told him to go back and change was eventually used in Quentin Tarantino's 2015 Western The Hateful Eight Mm -hmm. and ended up landing Morricone an Oscar. Wow. That's really interesting. (laughs) So the score that could have been, it could have been an Oscar-winning score, and it ended up being crap. 
But it's not. It's I don't think it's terrible at all. I think it's wonderful. I think it suits the environment mm-hmm. and uh, what's happening. I think it's great. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just about to say. It's uh, it's so funny how you can see things with uh, you know a soundtrack and immediately your brain just melds those as one it's like my brain now can't imagine it with any other soundtrack so to know that this could have possibly been done with a completely different sound like now I want to go have the hateful eight like playing in the background Mm -hmm. but also like the thing in front of me and I want to see those match up (laughs) even the dialogue I want the dialogue too uh but a completely different movie it really would but yeah that's what I mean and I think you said it too like the music goes perfectly with the action, with the, um, you know, lull in the fighting and the action scenes and, and whatnot. And yeah, that two note kind of initial opening score, it's so spot on with the thing now in my head that it's like, I can't picture it with anything else. And so it's so funny that nowadays you know years down the line something that's become so synonymous with the movie just like halloween just like jaws and and stuff like that back then when it first came out people initially thought it was shitty it just cracks me up yeah and unfortunately i think that's just a case of well people were saying the movie was crap so Mm -hmm. everything associated with it must be crap so i i think it was just more jumping on that hater bandwagon Mm -hmm. kind of thing Mm -hmm. because you know, now everything's completely reversed. We understand this is a phenomenal film, mm-hmm. just with amazing performances, just out of this world special effects that you're not going to see much better. And it's just amazing how it's done this total 360 when mm-hmm. people finally realized what they really had on their hands here. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, starting out after we see our spaceship crash, uh, we are now in Antarctica. And... It's not actually Antarctica. It it looks cold as fuck because this is either Alaska or Canada where this was filmed, but it's supposed to be Antarctica. And we see a helicopter chasing a cute little doggy. Yes. What is happening? Sadness. And now they're shooting at it. Sadness ensues. It's getting worse. It does. So they're chasing this dog and... They make it to what we are shown on a sign as U.S. National Science Station number four. But that's a lie because this is not station number four. We will learn later uh, that this is station 31. So this is a big goof that no one has ever been able to explain why the sign said four and everybody else refers to it as station 31. But I know it's 31 because I have a T-shirt that says it's 31. So there you go. Well, there you go. T-shirts don't lie. And inside Station 31, my man McCready, drinking his J&B and playing the chess wizard. He's a baby with a beard. Uh, Kurt Russell, yeah. he's uh, He is Grizzly Adams, but still looks like he's 12 years old. Yes. Just as cute as can be in all of his wooliness. Mm-hmm. And he's actually losing to the chess wizard, but uh, no hard feelings. He offers the computer a drink and calls her a cheating bitch. Hey, no hard feelings. <laughs> I also feel like that's a very strong reaction (laughs) to losing a game of chess to a computer is to pour your drink into it. He's ruined the computer, which at the time, I'm sure was very expensive equipment. Mm -hmm. And now no one else can play chess and you're stuck in the middle of fucking Antarctica. Yeah. But, you know, he's McCready. He does what he wants. (laughs) He makes the rules. (laughs) He really does. Well, back outside, the Norwegians, as we will soon learn they are, 
uh, have chased the dog, which he is credited, not in the film, he doesn't get a credit, but if you go on IMDb, the dog is actually named Jed. And we love Jed. I love Jed. So from now on, we're going to refer to him as Jed. So, uh, and I think, honestly, Jed should have been credited. He I don't really know should why. Have. I don't wasn't. know who brokered that deal for him, but... It's unfair. I hope he gets residuals. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Norwegians have chased Jed back to U.S. NSS 31. One of them, the Norwegians, exits the chopper and tries to blow the dog up with a grenade, but drops the damn thing in the snow like a freaking... Wiley Coyote gag reel. Mm -hmm. Like, what what are you doing? Who does this? He can't find it. He's digging around. It's like the goofiest thing. Yeah. And and then he and the chopper just blow up. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other Norwegian, who also got out of the chopper, he is still trying to shoot the dog, but ends up shooting Bennings, one of our base scientists, in the leg instead. Another one, our crew, Gary, is packing his own heat and shoots the Norwegian dead. Right in the eye. Right in the eyeball. Well, then we have Clark, another crew member who's in charge of the dogs, and he brings Jed into the camp. This is not a good idea. It isn't, but it is. I don't want Jed to be cold, but also Jed's not really Jed. This is not Jed. But we don't know that yet. But we know there's something odd with this dog. Why were the Norwegians chasing it? Why were they trying to kill it? Mm-hmm. And actually, if you speak Norwegian, this movie is spoiled for you in the first 30 seconds. Because if you can interpret what they're saying, they actually are screaming at them. That's not a dog. Stay away from him, you idiots. It's something. You know, they're warning him. So they explain that it's it's not human. That's not a dog. Mm-hmm. So it's it's spoiled for you pretty quickly. But I didn't speak Norwegian, so I didn't get that. But you've learned it since, so. I have, so... <laughs> Fool me once. (laughs) Mondi of this time. Movie. (laughs) Well, now we're back inside the camp and we're getting some pretty realistic stitches uh, on Benning's leg as Mm -hmm. Dr. Copper patches him up. Nas, who is our resident cook, is roller skating down the hall. Windows, who is our radio guy, can't reach anyone on the radio to report what happened. And old diabetic Quaker Oats, Dr. Blair, is pissed about it. He's like, damn it, you gotta get someone on the radio. Gotta tell someone about this, I got diabetes. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) Meanwhile, uh, Palmer, another crew member, is a token one-up. And Gary and Dr. Copper want to go back to the Norwegians' camp to see if they can figure out what caused them to go nuts. So they head out with McCready. Later that evening at the base, the dog, Jed, is allowed to roam free, and Bennings wants Nalls to turn down his fucking music. You know, he was shot today. He needs his rest. Yeah, but it's, it's a good song. Uh, this is Stevie Wonder, and there are superstitious writings on the wall, and we do not... Turn down Mr. Wonder for no man. No. I ain't turning it down. You shall not. And neither is Nalls. <laughs> he like strokes the radio. He goes over and pretends like he's going to turn it down. And then he goes, psych. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, after the release of this film, because Universal didn't secure the rights to this song, it had to be replaced with something else for the home video release. 
But since then, Universal has gotten the rights back, and it's back in the film, but depending on what version you have, the song may vary in this scene. That's interesting. What Do we know what the other songs are? Not a clue. Hmm. I hope it's like kids' pop songs. <laughs> like, I hope it's something completely unrelated. I mean, not that, like, superstition really is, but, I mean, it's it's a spooky song. I, I want it to be, like, Tiffany. I think we're alone now. <laughs> I think that'd be I want it to be, like, a uh, baby shark. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Can you imagine? He's just cooking away, jamming the baby shark. <laughs> well, meanwhile, Jed walks into someone's room, but we can't tell from the silhouette whose room it is. And this is done purposefully by Carpenter. He wanted to let you know, because we're still not trusting this dog. He's just kind of walking around, checking things out. I mean, he's not doing anything bad. He's just, there's something off about him. And so when you see him walk into someone's room and you see a shadow of a person, you mm -hmm. know someone's in there and you see them turn around and note that the dog has walked into the room and somehow you just know that that is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Well, Mac and crew arrive at the Norwegian's camp and there are no survivors. They follow a trail of blood that leads to the frozen corpse of a man who has committed suicide by slitting his wrists and the blood has frozen in place. I remember the first time I saw that. It's it's our first real any type of gore, mm -hmm. aside from seeing Bennings get a little stitch in his leg from his bullet graze. Uh, but it's it's yeah, the the first big gore that we get and <laughs> pretty tame in comparison to the rest of the gore we're going to get. Uh, I will tell you right now, if you haven't seen this strictly because you're not one that likes a lot of gore, this is not the movie to cut your teeth on. Yeah. It's going to get real, real bad. Uh, probably, aside from A Nightmare on Elm Street, out of these first few that we've done, I think it's just about the goriest. I would say, yeah. Yeah. I, and I don't know. I feel like gore is such a personal thing and it depends on what you think is gory and whatnot. But I do have to say, going on like a bloody scale, this is definitely the bloodiest movie on this top 10 that we have been doing thus far. And actually, our, our next movie isn't bloody either. So yeah, this really is the bloodiest movie on this top 10 list. But it's for good reason. Yeah, I, I just can still remember seeing this scene for the first time and just how haunting that looks and the way that it's shot. There's a certain way that it's lit enough that you can see, but they're still kind of using flashlights to see the darker portion. So there, there's a, a point where the flashlight kind of pans through that blood mm -hmm. as it's, you know, you have to imagine you see someone's arm, he's seated in a chair and his arm is by his side, and then coming out of him is all this blood from where he's just sliced his entire arm open but it's almost immediately frozen in place so it, it gets to the point where it's spilling out of his body but then almost immediately freeze it's just such a striking image as it's lit by that backlighting from the flashlight it just it it really really resonated and, and just was very haunting the first time I saw it it just really struck me yeah, I think especially for it being your first scene in this movie, as far as um, getting a significant amount of blood, it is, it's, it's interesting because it's bloody, but it isn't 
disgusting i guess is is the best way to say it like it's it's yeah i think it's because of the fact it's not flowing it's literally like you're just seeing a moment frozen in time yeah it's like a statue Mm -hmm. like it's you know if if they were in an art museum and we didn't know we were going to be seeking out what should be alive people i wouldn't think anything of it you know what i mean like it literally just looks like somebody sitting still so yeah i think that breaks that barrier of where you can kind of have that disconnect where it doesn't look extremely disgusting but it still is kind of uh you know shocking as your Mm -hmm. first um intro scene into what is going to become a shit ton of practical effects and a shit ton of crazy fantastical gore yeah and of course it, it it starts to really drive it home that something terrible is going on here mm-hmm. what happened at this camp that this person was so afraid of succumbing to that they took their own life mm-hmm. in such a violent way mm-hmm. that you know what could possibly be so terrible that that is the the preferred end for someone so yeah, yeah it, it really it drives that point home mm-hmm. well as copper is collecting some of the norwegians research papers mac finds a large block of ice in another room that looks like something has been removed from the inside out back they find burnt remains that they guess is human remains but they look pretty deformed so they decide to bring the remains back to the station And Copper asks Blair to do an autopsy. And this thing is grotesque. Mm -hmm. It it has what looks like two faces morphing into one. It it has multiple arms and legs are bent at odd angles. There's something definitely not right. It almost looks like multiple people just kind of melted together. Mm -hmm. And although it looks this way on the outside, according to Blair, all the internal organs appear to be normal so what is going on here meanwhile everyone else is relaxing around the base and the dog scares the shit out of bennings and he insists that clark put him in the pen with the other dogs but something is not right here so you can tell that we are building to something Mm -hmm. Uh, again this is just one of those moments of building that suspense because clark who he's an odd character he seems very emotionless you know we don't get a whole lot of character development but yet they somehow do a very good job of conveying very quickly what everybody's personality and kind of role in the group is yeah and it's very evident that clark you know he's the person who takes care of the dogs so he gets along better with the animals than he does with people Mm -hmm. he's there to do a job and prefers to spend his time with the animals So Clark goes to put the dog in the pen, but there's this scene where he's slowly walking down the hall with the dog and the dog is keeping pace with them. He's not like running ahead or falling behind. He doesn't have to continually call him. They're just walking side by side, slowly down the pen. And Richard Mauser, the actor who plays Clark, said he had to work for months in pre-production learning how to act with jed he worked with jed because it had to look very natural on screen he had to be able to guide jed and get him to meet his marks without the dog looking back toward the camera or looking toward his handler or getting distracted by other things you know it's a lot for a dog there's a lot that goes on on a movie set so he had to work for months 
just to get him to learn to walk like that down that small hall. You know, it's so crazy. It's a short scene that lasts four seconds, maybe. Yeah. At the most. But it took months to prepare for that. Mm Mm-hmm. To, for something that just seems so simple. Yeah. But it's effective because the way that that shot, it just builds this moment that makes you very uneasy because it doesn't seem natural. Yeah. It's not a natural behavior for a dog that's never met this human just to be that calm and that close to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it, it really does make you feel like we are building to something. Something bad is about to happen. Well, Clark puts him in the pen with the others, and the other dogs are not happy about their new bunkmate and start freaking out, and with good reason, <laughs> because lo and behold, Jed's face splits open and grows spider legs and starts sprouting squiggly things from his body and <laughs> squirting the other dogs with alien acid spit. I, I There's a lot going on, and things shoot up in the air, and dogs are flying around and yelping. It's a lot. Yes. Things went bad very quickly. Chaos has ensued, and it's very slimy. <laughs> there is, I mean, I don't know what their budget on goo was, but <laughs> a lot was used for this movie. Well, of course, this gets Clark's attention, and he comes back to figure out what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. And as he opens the pen, two of the dogs run out and escape. This causes Mac to hear the commotion as well. He sounds the alarm. He thinks someone is being attacked and everyone starts running toward the pen and Mac has requested a motherfucking flamethrower. Bitch, yes. Never mind why they even have a flamethrower up here. I don't know. Apparently in Antarctica, you have to set things on fire. It makes sense. I bet there's a lot of arsonists up there. (laughs) Well, let's take a second to talk about these creature effects so the creature effects are done by rob botine who was only 23 at the time that he made this movie carpenter says the success of the visual effects was 50 percent botine and 50 percent dean cundy's lighting so you couldn't tell it was all a bunch of rubber and goo <laughs> so put those things together and it is really really effective mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the perfect combination. You know, I, I even asked you when it was all over. I said, I don't want to talk about it. I want to save all of our conversation for the podcast. But I really, really was curious to know how the visual effects held up over all this time. Because every time I look at it, just because I have pure love for this film, it's going to be beautiful to me. Yeah. But I know that even with some movies that I love... It doesn't always look that great so many years in the future. We're coming up on 40 years later now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were amazing. I think they were easily some of the best practical effects I've ever seen. They were quite phenomenal. And the thing you have to remember is absolutely everything you see here was done practically. Even the spaceship that flies in at the beginning, that's a miniature model. And they use the same kind of techniques they use in Star Wars, where they move the camera around the model instead of trying to make the model move around with fishing wire. And it it looks phenomenal. But it's everything is done practically. And that's what makes it so amazing. And you get that visceral, real feeling to it. It mm-hmm. looks like bone. And it looks like tissue. And it... 
it just looks real and the actors can feel that and respond to it. It's not like when someone's playing to, you know, a tennis ball because they're going to CGI that in later. They get to react to that. Yeah. Now, (laughs) Carpenter will be the first to tell you that Botin, although he was brilliant at his creature effects, he was really young and not good with his time management. And part of the problem was Botin just had so many ideas. And here you give this young kid free reign because there's no rules here. There, there was nothing ever written that definitively said this is what the thing looks like yeah. because no one knows. No one knows what its original form is because it could be anything. Yeah. And because it could be anything, how do you tell someone design this so he just had free reign and he kept wanting to go bigger and do more and do more and they kept having to rein him in and it made them really really behind schedule you know it took several months after principal filming had ended for them to you know pick up some more of these these effect shots you know close-up shots and, and things like that yeah uh because everything was so far behind he just had that too much gene exactly yeah yeah. Yeah, I get it. I, I, I feel that. <laughs> Sometimes we're just going to rein you in. That's okay. Yeah, so uh, with that <laughs> cue, I'm going to move on. So Jed is now assimilating <laughs> the other dogs. And Mac tries to shoot it and the other dogs to no avail. Uh, well, our flamethrower finally arrives, brandished by Childs, uh, another one of our crew members, and he burns the now giant mass of undulating flesh and goo right back to hell, or space, or wherever it came from. <laughs> I, I do want to take a moment to tell you something about Childs. So he's played by actor Keith David, who I absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. First of all, he could just come talk to me. He has one of those deep James Earl Jones voices that can make even your grocery list sound interesting if read out loud. And B, I've seen several interviews with Keith and he just seems like the most charming, pleasurable person to be around. Anywho, two days before filming was to begin, Keith David was in a car accident and broke his hand. So if you pay close attention, you'll notice for the majority of the film, you will never see Child's left hand. He's either turned to the side or it's behind an object. And the times you do see it, it's usually in the outdoor shots when it can be covered by a glove. And that is because they had to cover the cast. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, I actually, this is a brand new fact I just learned (laughs) and was so excited. I never knew that. And it made me want to go back and watch it again going, Really? Yeah, because I was just thinking, I was like, I don't remember noticing that at all. But I I think stuff like that is fun because, yeah, similar to you, I want to go back and see if I can spot it like a little Easter egg. Even though it's not an Easter egg, it's a cast. (laughs) An Easter cast. (laughs) Made from bunnies. Can you imagine how tedious that would have to be, though, with every shot being like, especially when you'd have to have like hide it behind something you know be like no okay move it a little no all right move it okay that doesn't look natural all right can we you know it doesn't make sense for you to have your hand in the refrigerator (laughs) why do you have your hand in a planter you are not a flower this doesn't make sense (laughs) why are you always carrying that hat it i don't know you don't even wear the hat your hand is not the thing in this movie (laughs) 
You know the ending. And his hand was the thing the whole time. What a twist. <laughs> Just to cast a sock puppet. <laughs> I'd go on to eat you now. Goo, goo. <laughs> oh. Well, Blair is now doing an autopsy on Jed and his friends, and he just can't believe what he's seeing. Neither can I. It is a glorious mass of just everything. I just, I am so in awe of people who can just create things out of their mind. And I'll admit that I can draw, but I'm always one of those, I can draw what I see. I can look at something and I can mimic that. I'm not one of those people that I can think in my mind and make that happen. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can't, my brain doesn't work that way. Like I can't envision this glorious mass of stuff that looks like part dog and stuff that looks part human and stuff yeah. that looks part spider and somehow put it together in this cohesive lump that just makes it look badass and cool. Mm-hmm. I would just, I wouldn't even know where to start. But yeah. if you showed me a picture of that, I could draw that. Yeah. You're more like logically and realistically creative instead of like fantastically creative where you can sure, yeah. reach outside the box and create that whole thing i like my box <laughs> it's a good box everybody likes moving their box. on blair <laughs> figures out that this is a foreign life form that attempts to mimic whatever life form it comes in contact with it mimics it perfectly so that you can't tell the copy from the original so now he's wondering since the dog has been out of the pen this whole time who was alone with him and are they who they appear to be so now shit gets real. Mm-hmm. Now we don't know what to think. Who's who? How long was Clark alone with the dog? What exactly has to happen for that to change? Mm-hmm. You, you don't know who's already infected at this point. Mm-hmm. So they watch some of the video footage that Copper took from the Norwegians camp, and they see what appears to be something large they found in the ice. They fly out to the location and find a giant spaceship that's been buried in the ice, they estimate, for over 100,000 years. I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. <laughs> well, Childs doesn't believe this voodoo bullshit. Blair, do you believe all this voodoo bullshit? Blair doesn't care. He has diabetes. <laughs> in the next scene, don't be too impressed with the high-tech CGI in this. When Blair is watching those cells assimilate, <laughs> yes, oh my God, it's like bleep, bleep, yes, bleep. At first, I didn't realize what it was when we were watching it, and I was like, "Is this some like pre-Pac-Man? Like <laughs> he wasn't quite a ghost yet; like he was just an undulating blob." <laughs> That's basically what it is. It's a red blob and blue blobs, mm-hmm. and the red blobs moving around trying to take over the blue blobs, and they kind of like occasionally bump uglies on the right. screen. And then they turn into red blobs. Yeah. So it takes them over. Uh, But he, so he's doing this computer simulation and uh, it tells him that the, if this got out, if the thing actually gets out and infects the entire world, the entire world will be assimilated in 27,000 hours. Now you're welcome. I did the math. That's 1,125 days or just over three years. And you know what? That's really believable, seeing as how we all just went through a fucking pandemic mm-hmm. that spread like wildfire. Yes. Yeah, we, we'd all be things real quick. Yes. 
So they decide to move the thing's bodies to the storage room, and Fuchs asks to speak to Mac outside. So Bennings is now left alone in the storeroom, and we see one of the bodies is starting to thaw, and the blanket slightly moves behind him. Yeah. Oh, I remember that was so creepy the first time I saw it. It's yeah. like, oh, shit. Yeah, I wrote in my notes, I said, uh-oh, things are getting spicy. So <laughs> I think I think because that's, I mean, things thus far have been creepy. Obviously, we have the um, suspense part of it where we're kind of being led down this path of like not being able to trust people not knowing who's who but when this this thing begins to move I think that's when we're kind of switched over to full horror mode uh because then that to me kind of became very Mm zombie-like um and yeah that's when I was fully fully engaged I was like I mean from the get-go with this movie I was I was I was engaged. And I think a part of it was because I knew it was your favorite um, or, or one of your favorites. And I always get really excited to watch those with you. So I was already engaged. But yeah, when that thing started moving its hand, I was like, oh, I am very excited for what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah. And what that does is it tells the audience, oh, I'm sorry, you thought these things were dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not dead you're not safe. Yeah. And so the audience is like, oh shit, then how the fuck do we kill it? Yeah. And so, yeah, it definitely heightens things a bit. Mm-hmm. So you're terrified you're either about to see another horrible assimilation or are we not going to know whether or not Bennings is a thing? So Fuchs tells Mac that Blair has locked himself in his room and won't come out. Uh, but Fuchs was ab- able to get his journal, and Blair has figured out that the remains aren't actually dead. So next we see Windows return to the storeroom just in time to see Bennings being assimilated. They chase after him and catch him outside as he's still in transformation. And let me tell you something about this scene. <laughs> when I first saw this as a kid, I, I know I did not see this movie in the theater. Mm-hmm. In fact... I do not remember anything about this movie. I do remember seeing ads for it in the paper. It it used to be when you wanted to go see a movie when you were a kid or when I was a kid, many, many moons ago, you had to look it up in the paper. Mm -hmm. You'd look up all the movie times or you'd call movie phone. Yeah. And, And of course... In the paper, they had ads for the movies, but and it was always pictures of the posters. And I can remember seeing the movie poster... Which doesn't tell you anything about what this movie is about. It really doesn't, yeah. I honestly remember thinking, and I don't know why I remember this, but I remember thinking when I saw that movie poster, oh, that looks like it's about somebody who chops people up in the woods. I thought he was like a a man with a machete or something. That makes sense. I have no idea why that is what came to mind, but I just thought it was your typical slasher film. Yeah. And plus, guess what had just come out the week prior? the movie E.T. So no Um, one was thinking about any movie other than E.T. Yeah. I mean, it literally was the blockbuster of that entire year. Mm -hmm. And so the thing just totally got overlooked. Yeah. I I do remember seeing this for the first time. My Aunt Sharon showed it to me. My Aunt Sharon was the cool aunt that you got to do everything that you couldn't do at home. Like you could eat cereal with marshmallows in it for dinner and you could watch scary movies that you weren't supposed to watch. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And she showed me 
all the great scary movies for the first time, including this one. I remember when I saw this scene, there is something about when Benning's, you know, it, they find him out in the snow and he's he's hunched over almost like he's having stomach pains. Yeah. And they they all reach him kind of at the same time and surround him and he he slowly sits up and reveals these he looks like Bennings, except for these huge, gigantic, almost claw-like hands mm-hmm. that are still changing either from something or into something. They're just, it's not normal. They're yeah. not real hands. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks over at McCready. His mouth opens up and like this scream, cry, moan thing falls out. Yeah. It creeped my shit as a kid <laughs> scared the I don't know what it was about it yeah I didn't like it I was like no thank you <laughs> it's very disconcerting I don't I don't, oh it just creeped me out yeah and it's still to this day is very effective I know it's coming and I see it I'm like nope still don't like it <laughs> guess what I'm still uncomfortable <laughs> yeah and there's nothing it's not like you know if this had been done today and they were to do that scene, they would have done some CGI effect where it made it made it look like his mouth opened wider than it actually yeah, could. Absolutely. And they don't do that here because that we didn't have those capabilities at the time. So he just opens his mouth as far as he possibly could, but it's still, there's something about it combined with everything that's going on in the scene. It makes it seem like it's so much more than it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote down in my notes... Uh, that his hands reminded me of, uh, do you know those, like, old YouTube videos of, like, salad fingers? Uh, yeah. That's what they reminded me of. Okay. <laughs> salad fingers. <laughs> All right. I can see it. I I don't know how many people will get that reference, but I had to write it down because I, I immediately was like, oh, salad fingers. But then he made the sound and I was like, oh, nope. Well, if they truly are late night weirdos, something tells me they will know of the salad fingers. <laughs> Man, that was early days of YouTube. Yes, yeah. Well, after Bennings does his little scream moan thing, Mac knocks over, I, I, I guess it's a can of kerosene or lighter fluid or something, mm-hmm. uh, and it spills all over Bennings and they light that motherfucker up. Well, now they decide they have to burn all the bodies because you can't simply just kill something. You can't just shoot in the head or chop it up or whatever. You got to destroy it by fire. Yeah. Well, after they bury the burnt bodies in the ice, Max sees who he thinks is Blair uh, come running from the chopper. So he goes over and checks on the chopper and it turns out it's been sabotaged. Now they're stuck there. That's it. You can't get out by chopper. You ain't getting out. Yeah. Well, he hears a gunshot come from inside and makes his way in, and it's Blair, and he is freaking out. He's destroying the radio. He's chopping things up with an axe. He's shooting at stuff. We also find out that he killed all the rest of the dogs that had survived because he knows this thing can't make it out to the rest of the world. It has to die here. It, it, so he can't risk it. He can't risk rescue coming in. He can't risk... The thing getting out on the helicopter, you know, he is trying to make it so it is stuck here mm-hmm. and they can destroy it. Well, they're finally able to overtake and subdue Blair and they end up locking him out in the tool shed, which is separate from the main base. 
And he tells Mac that he just doesn't know who he can trust. And Blair is basically now speaking for the audience because we just don't know who the thing is and who isn't. You know, this is one of those moments where Carpenter doesn't let us in on the joke. We are just as in the dark as everyone else. So they decide they need a test to figure out if everyone is who they say they are. So they're going to test the blood. Well, they had a blood supply in case of some sort of medical emergency. Everyone had blood that they kept in in a cooler. Uh, Well, someone got to it first and destroys it. So that pretty much confirms that definitely someone else here is infected. Yeah. Of course, this causes a massive argument because now they're trying to figure out who exactly had access. And it turns out only Gary and Copper are the only ones with keys And so now they're just trying, everyone's starting to accuse the other and (laughs) no one wants to go off and be alone with anyone. And this person thinks it's this person and this person is saying, yeah, well, you were alone with this person. It's getting nuts. And Window starts to freak out and he takes off and tries to go for a gun. But Gary stops him by pulling his own gun on him. But since no one trusts Gary, he voluntarily hands his gun over to Mac. So now Matt gives this great speech about how this thing wants to hide in plain sight. It it doesn't, you know, it's at the point it doesn't want to assimilate anyone else if it doesn't have to. It just wants to wait till it can be rescued and go to where more people are. And so this leads to another scene (laughs) where he's recording a log uh, of what's happening on one of those old recorders that you got to push down the play and record at the same time and he's giving this explanation about how he thinks the thing shreds your original clothes when it assimilates you Uh, and this is based on the fact that some shredded long johns were found earlier but in this moment I truly believe was the birth of Big Trouble in Little China's Jack Burton have I ever shown you Big Trouble in Little China have you seen it I have not and you have not okay it's a must-see I love it. It's campy and over the top, exactly what it's supposed to be. And of course, Kurt Russell plays Jack Burton, and it's also directed by John Carpenter. It, you know, I, I've toyed with the thought of possibly putting it on Dead Zone. It's v- a very fine line whether that would be horror. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would probably argue against it. But but I don't know. I think there are elements to it that absolutely could put it in the horror category so i don't know maybe maybe if enough people are interested someday we'll do a big trouble in little china but i tell you what (laughs) that just the way that he's talking you know because jack burton uh, in big trouble in little china he has he uh he's a long-haul truck driver Mm -hmm. and so he's constantly on that cb radio and he's just corny and and crazy it just it's this whole scene is just very much him but the whole purpose was to bring up this whole thing about the clothing because in the next scene Fuchs is working on rationing supplies when all of a sudden all the lights go out so he goes to investigate and sees someone in the hall uh, but they don't identify themselves and we can't tell who it is you just kind of see their silhouette as they they walk by very quickly and it's a good little jump scare because again you have that that violin music that little yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> they get you every time you're like son of a bitch 
well, he ends up following our mystery person outside to see who it is and finds the remains of a torn up jacket belonging to Mac. We know this is his jacket because his name's on it. How convenient. So has Mac been turned? That's the big question. Can we now not trust Mac? Fuchs certainly can't. But now Fuchs is missing, and everyone else sets off to find him, but no one wants to pair off because no one trusts anyone. So now we're arguing again. I don't want to go with this person, and I don't want to go with that person. I do have to say that's one thing that I should say another thing this movie um, does really well is setting up everybody as a suspect uh whilst they really lay it on heavier for some people in the story like you said earlier even as the audience we get to a point where none of us trusts anybody um i got to a point where i just trusted the dogs and even they were no longer part of the movie and so at that point i was like <laughs> i don't i don't even trust myself i could be the thing yeah and I think that's just a testament to how distinctive the personalities were and the actors were and the characters were in this movie because they were able to, in such a short amount of time, develop such uh, distinctive personalities and then be able to flip that and behave in a way to convince the audience that they could be a suspect, but also at the same time convince the audience that they they feel that they're innocent. So it, it, was, it was a really... I guess I should say like intense and anxious filled time because while they're bickering amongst themselves, you're kind of like being ping ponged around the room because you can't trust anybody either. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're just in the same mindset as everybody else trying to figure out, okay, yeah, everybody in this room is yelling and you're feeling just as chaotic minded as everybody else. Yeah. And, and of course, Mac is, is kind of our hero. So we're following him along mm -hmm. and we root for Mac and so you don't want Mac to be the thing. You want him to be the survivor at the end of all this. Our final boy. Our final boy. And, of course, that now comes into question now that we have Fuchs find this jacket. But it's also not beyond reason that whoever is the thing would want to plant that evidence to throw someone off the track. Because, again, like Mac was saying... This thing wants to hide in plain sight. It doesn't want these people to figure out who it is so he can get rescued and get back to civilization and infect more people. So it would certainly stand to reason that that could be, you know, a red herring by putting that out and saying, oh, look, maybe it's Mac. Mm -hmm. That You know, it's just it knows that it's causing this chaos. And right now, this chaos of the fact that they can't trust anybody is what's keeping him al the thing alive for the moment. Yeah. Well, Mac goes out and checks in with Blair to see if he's seen Fuchs. Remember, Blair's been put out in the tool shed. Blair just wants to come back inside because he hears things outside, and it ain't Fuchs. Uh, we also see that Blair has made himself a little noose. Did you notice that? I didn't. Uh, there, it's obvious. It becomes more obvious in a later scene, and I found myself being like, "Where did that come from?" Yeah. I think what it's trying to convey there is Blair up to this point has been our voice of reason. He was the one who did the autopsy. He's the one who figured out how it works, how it assimilates. And he's the one who understands that this cannot get out into civilization. Mm -hmm. So rationally, that same person would say, I can't allow it to take me. 
So like the Norwegian that was found back at their camp, he would opt to commit suicide before allowing himself to be assimilated by the thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I didn't even see him building that in that one scene. So yeah, whenever it pops up again, I I just (laughs) kept wondering. I was like, is this supposed to be planted by somebody? Did somebody bring this? Is this a message? Yeah. Sleep with the fishes, buddy. That's what you get for chopping up my radio. Well, they find Fuchs, and he has lit himself on fire with a flare, like we were just talking about, to avoid being assimilated by the thing. Again, he he saw it, whoever it was, and opted to light himself on fire. Uh, we are spared that, though, and we, we just see his charred remains. Well, Mac tells Windows to go back and tell the others they found Fuchs and that he and Nalls will be along in a minute. When Windows asks where they're going, Mac says to his bunkhouse because when he left yesterday, he turned the lights off. And, of course, they turn around to see a shot, and there's a light on. I love that scene. Oh, my God. It was so good. It's like, what? Yeah. It, re- it was such a Hitchcock moment. That's mm-hmm. so something he would do. You're just like, <gasps> immediately so many questions. Mm-hmm. Who's been in the house? Why were they in there? Yeah. You know, what did they do? And It feels very urban legendy too. Like, oh, yeah. Like a little like bedtimey story type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, or not bedtimes. I guess like camp story or something like that. I don't know. It just feels like, and then they were under the bed or something like that. Like it just, it, and when they panned over and the light was on, I, I think I even turned to you and I was like, what? Like I, was, <laughs> I was stoked that this was happening. Well, everyone inside starts to worry that all those who went outside have been gone for too long. So they decide to start putting the base into lockdown. Uh, but Norris and Palmer see Nalls coming back. Palmer lets him in and he says he cut Mac loose because he found the same piece of jacket with Mac's name on it that Fuchs found. So now Nas doesn't trust Mac either. So they all start arguing again because they don't know if it's Mac or not. And as they're arguing behind them in the scene, the doorknob starts turning on the base door Mm -hmm. and it's just like oh shit now they start arguing over whether or not to actually let him in now remember it's about a hundred degrees below zero yeah it's really freaking cold outside yeah mac needs to get inside or he will freeze to death so he makes his way around to the storage room and breaks the window and ends up getting in so the rest of them run to the storeroom Uh, And they break down the door with the axe, but Mac holds them off with a flare and some dynamite. Why do they have dynamite? Yeah, I don't know. I was wondering that, too, because obviously uh, it comes into play as everything. Everything's a breadcrumb in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously these these come into play. But I was wondering that, too. I was like, I am curious as to why these were initially needed in the first place. Like, that doesn't seem like. Yeah, it was, One, what the fuck are these people researching up here? Yeah, it would call for uh, we need flamethrowers, dynamite, TNT. It, they had numerous Weed. rifles, <laughs> pistols. What? What are we doing up here? <laughs> it's not just playing chess. Well, Norris hasn't been doing well and picks now to have a heart attack because we don't have anything else going on. Real Now's convenient. Fine. It's all about you, Norris. <laughs> Weren't getting enough attention. 
So Mac tells them to go and get Dr. Copper, who begins performing CPR. So Mac continues to keep everyone at bay with his dynamite, uh, while Copper uses uh, the, the shucker things, the paddles. Yeah. One of those things, the little clear... Uh, uses those on Norris, uh, and then all hell breaks loose. From here on out, it's just go, go, go. Things yeah. are just going to happen. And gore, gore, gore. Oh, gore to the gore. Yeah. Gore cubed. Yes. So Norris's chest bursts open and bites off Copper's arms. Real convenient. I mean, uh, then his head stretches off. All of this seems a little extreme for a heart attack. I'm just saying. <laughs> this is not any kind of heart attack like I've ever seen. He might also have a gallbladder issue, I think, <laughs> because something is shot up to the... Things are always shooting up to the ceiling. Yeah. And there's more squiggly things. It seems like he lied about some things on his sheets that he filled out. I think he's having an allergic reaction. <laughs> Perhaps he was stung by a bee. Yeah. Now, the head stretches off. Like off, like stretches from the body. Yes. The body stays on the table. Mm-hmm. So the head starts to stretch from the body and then goes backwards down the edge of the table. Yeah. Onto the floor, stretches all these. And he's got this green alien goo blood. Then he, the tongue shoots out of the mouth and uh, like wraps around a chair leg. And he uses that to pull himself forward. But that's a slow mode of transportation. He's not going to cut it for the thing. So he then grows eight spider legs out of his head. He hits the express lane. And two little weird probing eye things. Yeah. And it stands up and starts to walk the hell out the door. Yeah. And then we get one of the best lines ever. (laughs) And Palmer turns around and just goes, you got to be fucking kidding. (laughs) And it is... The best moment, because you're not believing what you're seeing. This is craziness. In the middle of this chaotic, fantastical moment, you have this hilarious line. Mm -hmm. And it's almost the line that never happened, because they finished filming that scene, and Carpenter raps for that scene. He says, okay, we're done. And Richard Mauser, who plays Clark says, well, wait, you haven't filmed Palmer saying his line. And Carpenter's like, oh, no, 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 that's actually going to come in overdubbed and another part. And Richard was like, are, are you crazy? It's the best line in the whole movie. You cannot not have a close-up on Palmer saying that line. You're going to regret it if you don't do it. And he's like, no, 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 it'll be fine. They finally, they had to convince Carpenter. They're like, look, it's already set up and shot. Just record him saying the line. <laughs> Just hit the Just button. Just do it. If you don't use it, fine. <laughs> and they convinced him he shot it and they left. And of course he agreed. It, they, <laughs> it absolutely had to happen, mm-hmm. but it almost didn't. Yeah. Well, Mac decides it's time to move forward with the test, this blood test that they want to do. Uh, But he wants everyone tied up first. And this does not go over well with the others. So again, we have this other argument scene and everyone's talking over everyone. And Clark decides to go after Mac with a scalpel. But Mac spins around and gets him right between the eyes. Yeah, he's a sharpshooter. I mean... It's pretty much point blank, but still, (laughs) that's some good reflexes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But good news, everyone now agrees to get tied up. They're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, you were serious. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. (laughs) 
Well, Mac's theory is that when a man bleeds, it's just tissue. But when the thing bleeds and its blood is attacked, it'll try to defend itself. Basically, all parts uh, make up the thing as a whole. So even its blood is a part of the thing since it's just assimilation of what it's imitating. So Mac has windows start to get blood samples from everyone by slicing their thumbs plumb open with a simple little pocket knife. Yeah, and like these thumbs are giving up way too much blood. Like there was one scene I was like, I feel like your thumb has too much blood. In it. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm concerned with the amount of blood that's rushing to your thumb at any given moment. Any excuse, I guess, to to get some of the the red goo in there. Yeah. That oh no, do it's it. totally effective, and, and but it was just like. Okay, God, like for that dude, like, I think you're fine. You don't have to give up your whole hand's worth of blood. Just a little will work. Also, it's been established that this thing is highly contagious. And this does not seem the most uh, sanitary yeah. of, of tests. He's basically, he will slice someone's thumb open, wipes the blood off on his jeans, mm -hmm. and then just goes right to the next person and slices their thumb open. So... It would stand to reason that you would think any blood sliced from someone who's infected mm -hmm. that now slices another thumb, they're going to get infected too. Yeah. So it's it's really going to come down to these tests. So the theory is that Mac is going to heat a copper wire and he's going to touch that to the blood and that should cause a reaction. The blood is going to think that this is a threat. It'll hurt it. And it will try to defend itself. This movie is basically just like about autoimmune diseases. <laughs> Let's find the lupus. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of test you do at your rheumatologist, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's all they're doing is just making sure that I'm not the thing. Every time I have to go to my appointment, they're like, oh, no, good. it's still just lupus. <laughs> I'm always on pins and needles. You get those results back yet? You uh, haven't assimilated yet, right? You're still good? Should I be worried? <laughs> I start getting real sassy. You're like, I really think you need to make an appointment. Nope. I know it's a couple months away. I think we need to push that up. I think uh, that's a tentacle hanging out of your butthole. <laughs> and I have concerns. <laughs> Is there a pill for that? <laughs> so... We start the tests, and uh, of course, first he's going to test Windows, because Windows is right now the only one not timed up, because Mac has to keep holding this flamethrower to keep everyone at bay. Uh, but Windows is good, and Mac tests himself, because remember, we had this torn piece of his jacket, and we've always wondered. Yeah, I like how he words it, too. He's like, I'm going to show you what I already knew, and just like puts it right in the blood. <laughs> like, it ain't me, bitches. <laughs> So Copper's next, and he's good, but uh, he's kind of dead, so that didn't really matter. Uh, Clark was good, which now makes Mac a full-blown murderer, because he shot a human. There seems like there's bigger things at hand. <laughs> That's kind of the least of our worries. Yeah. So now we're down to our final four. We test Palmer, and Palmer is bad. Very bad. And let me tell you, that moment 
when the blood reacts mm-hmm. and again we get this high shrill that shrieking sound that yeah. you hear that's that noise that is actually the sound designer i'm sorry i can't remember his name uh, that is actually him he had this ability to do this crazy high pitched shrill scream and that is that is not enhanced or modified in any way that is his shrill scream <laughs> making that noise and it scares the hell out of you it it gets me even when i know it's coming it scares me every time that just it's such a jolt when it happens and the blood just jumps out of the petri dish and then palmer starts vibrating <laughs> And his eyes bug out of his head. They're like pulsating. Yeah. And all of a sudden his body flies up to the ceiling and his hands aren't hands anymore and his feet aren't feet anymore. But he's still dressed as Palmer and his face is doing something weird and it's kind of melting and his eyes are bugging. And It's when, amazing. It's crazy. And Windows tries to shoot him, but it flies down onto the ground and grabs Windows by the head with his own head. It's like his head becomes a mouth and grabs Windows by the head and lifts windows off the ground by his head and the whole time gary Nalls, and childs are still tied up and freaking out they're like give me the fuck out of this chair oh my god untie me right now give me the fuck out of this chair <laughs> so this whole time mac hasn't been able to get the flamethrower to fire and he finally gets the damn thing to start to work and he torches palmer who runs outside and it's crazy. He busts through the door. He's a ball of flame. And we just get this amazing fire stunt. Mm-hmm. And the stuntman just kind of stumbles into the snow and falls forward. And Palmer is dead. But, of course, now we still have four windows who's kind of just, like, vibrating in a corner, twitching. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what he's doing, but he's not really much of windows anymore. And Mac comes back inside and has to torch him as well. Yeah. Again, we're just in the threshold of chaos. It is just balls to the wall. So we got to finish our test, though. Just because we know that Palmer is one doesn't mean that the three that are left are in the clear. So Nals is good and Childs is good. But now they both want the fuck out of their chair because that just leaves old Gary. And Nals and Childs is freaking out because (laughs) that means it's got to be Gary, right? He's the only one left. But Gary, he's good. And he delivers another fantastic moment in this movie where he's just very calm. And he says, great, now that you know it's not me, if you would kindly get me the fuck out of this chair. <laughs> and it's a it's another good comic relief. It's, it's so great in movies that directors have that ability to know when your audience needs a small break. Yeah, yeah. Because Carpenter knows from this point on, it is still just like you are saying, chaos. Yeah. And there's not really time to breathe, but you've got to let your audience catch up or you're going to lose them. And and he gives you that little funny moment just to kind of go, okay, okay, here we go. Yeah. Now, now I'm ready for the rest. And I think kind of keep you um, grounded and remind you again that we're dealing with humans, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and we want them to survive. Yeah, yeah. So now Matt, Gary, and Nalls head out to give Blair the test. But when they get to the tool shed, he's gone. So they find he has dug a tunnel under the tool shed and has started building a new spaceship. I mean, how long has this guy been locked up? <laughs> he digs an entire tunnel? Yeah. 
I was and has that too. mostly built a spaceship. This seems he's done a lot in a very short period of time. Yeah, again, <laughs> we're in chaos. I'm just going to keep saying it because that's what's happening. And the 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 scene here is when we're met with the noose, which is what I mentioned earlier about how I was confused because I didn't realize that that had been foreshadowed earlier. So in my mind, I'm like kind of trying to grasp onto where this noose came from. And then, yeah, we find out that he's dug this tunnel. I'm like, what? how did he have time to do a noose and <laughs> convey this message that I don't understand and dig this tunnel and build the spaceship? And where is he? Like, what's going <laughs> on here? <laughs> well, I think what he has done leads to an existing underground thing because there's obviously supplies and the generators down in this area. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he's built this entire tunnel system, but I do remember thinking that the first time I watched this. I was like, I don't understand. Just the spaceship alone, that seems like that would take a few months. Yeah, yeah. But he's done it in a matter of hours. Yeah, because it kind of leads later on... um... I think we come back down these tunnels, if I remember correctly, and it seems kind of maze-like. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's a little bit more elaborate. So, yeah, it, it, once we saw that, it kind of led me to believe that these were kind of established over time, maybe while, while they've been there researching for however long they've been there. And then maybe it was maybe only he knew about it. I don't know. Well, I, I think they they were all aware of it because, again, like I said, the generator was down there and yeah, they all knew that what is that true. was. So. Yeah. Just the spaceship they weren't aware of. I, that's a new addition. Yeah. This wasn't here last time. <laughs> so now it's a pretty safe estimate that Blair has also been in, uh, infected at some point and he is now also the thing. So while they're looking around, Nall sees Childs, who was left behind at the base, just in case Blair made it back to the base without the others, and then the power to the whole camp goes out. So now they think that Childs has somehow wrecked the generator, and they think that he might be infected. Again, we're just kind of putting these people into place to lead the audience to believe that anybody could be a suspect. Right. At this point, we're going to figure out that everyone has been alone off camera at some point uh, before our ending. So Max says that the thing has no way out now, and it just wants to freeze to death and go back to sleep in the ice and wait for someone to discover them again. I mean, if he's got to wait another 100,000 years, so be it. So he knows he's not getting out of here. Uh, so Mac decides they can't let him get to that ship and use it. So he's going to take away as many hiding places as possible and starts blowing everything up. All the buildings, the ship, everything is going. Yeah. Well, while they're setting these charges uh, and they get down to where the generator is, so they get back to it so they could turn it back on so they can at least heat some area to try and stay warm but the generator's gone. It's not just destroyed. It's completely gone. And so now Mac realizes that they're just going to have to blow the rest of the place up in hopes of killing this thing in the blast. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's nothing left to do. Yeah. Because with no generator and temperatures as low as they are, there's no way they're going to be able to survive. They're, they're going to end up freezing to death. Yeah, I think this moment's pretty big because now 
especially McCready, we've been kind of spoon fed this character that we're really meant to fall in love with and really root for. Um, and now we're kind of coming to the same conclusion that he is that basically not only can the thing not make it out of there, but he can't make it out of there either. Mm -hmm. If he remains in that building without the generator, he's going to die. Uh, but he also can't let the thing get out. And that means that leaves him to stay there and freeze to death. So yeah, I think it's a big moment to kind of swallow this big pill that our final boy essentially isn't going to make it out. Yeah, he's going to have to make the uh, ultimate sacrifice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. Well, of course, we still have others around. So as Gary is setting some of the charges, again, why do they have so many explosives? <laughs> uh, he's attacked by Blair, who sticks his fingers in his face. Yeah. Uh, this is hard to explain. He literally, like, somehow gets his fingers under the skin of his face and starts stretching it out. Oh, it is super effective at just, it makes my skin crawl. Yeah, I was uh, writing in my notes, and I think I even explained to you last night, I was uh, so enthralled with the, the movie, I got to a point where I stopped taking notes, just like I did last week uh, with Psycho. <laughs> but I did get to a point where I just ended up kind of writing my notes almost like a, a stream of consciousness where I was writing actual reactions. So the reaction to this scene just says, I'm sorry, did he just slip his fingers into that dude's <laughs> mouth skin? <laughs> yes, yes, he did. It was so unsettling. Like, it just, and it's not a long scene by any means, but it's like, long enough to <laughs> yeah. make you feel uncomfortable <laughs> we are watching this happen for way too long yeah well Nalls notices that gary is missing and goes to investigate we cut back now to mac who asks how's it going in there but just hears a little scuffle as a reply and uh, mac now knows that uh, he's probably on his own here but he goes to investigate he lights one of the bundles of dynamite because he can tell something's coming. And boy, howdy, does it. Yeah. So the floor starts to rumble. And it reminds me of the movie Tremors. When you'd see yeah. the worm go under yeah. the, the sand, you would just, you could tell where it was. Yeah. It's like that, but it goes under these floorboards that are down there. And they start flying up one after the other. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool. And just gets to Mac right at the end and knocks him off his feet. Yeah. And he goes flying but the thing eventually just busts up through the floor and it has now morphed into this giant being with a bunch of parts from, you're supposed to assume like every other life form that it's ever come in contact with. So you're seeing all this crazy stuff, you know, you're seeing dog and you're seeing human and you're seeing stuff that looks more insect and stuff that looks more reptile and it's just this crazy hodgepodge <laughs> of crap. Yeah. But it's giant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he does have like a lot going on, but also overall, I perceived him, and this was my uh, genuine reaction. And what I wrote down was, whoa, double dinosaur alien guy with a little fuzzy hair. Because uh, <laughs> he still had like the old man hair that Bennings had, or yeah, Bla yeah. Blair had, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. So, yeah, it was like 
I think they were maybe meant to be dog heads or something like that. But when they grew out, but they had like the tiny arms, they looked like dinosaurs. Uh-huh. And so I was Little like, T-Rex arms. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I kind of love that this looks like a, <laughs> some weird oddity of a dinosaur alien. I want him. But also, he's evil. So that's inconvenient. Well, of course, he may be evil, but he's no match for Mac. And Mac ain't having none of his shit. And as the thing is screaming and yelling and roaring, Mac just says, yeah, fuck you too. And blows that fucker up. Yes. It is a lovely, lovely, it's basically the smile you son of a bitch moment in Jaws. And uh, you just have hunks and hunks of thing raining on fire all over the ground. Yeah, I wrote down at the end that this ending of the movie literally goes out with a bang because we have all these scenes of rooms and parts of the building and the tunnels being set on fire, being exploded by McCready going through and just throwing explosives in every room. And then, yeah, this final moment of him just blowing up our double dinosaur alien. Uh, It's just a whole scene of fire, guts, alien bones, and hands and fur. It's just magical. It is. It it is a wonderful, fiery conclusion to what has just been a roller coaster of suspense and crazy, gory spectacles for the for the eyes. It's just been. It's like your brain hasn't really had time to process it yet. Yeah. But of course. It's not quite over yet. So out of the destruction, Mac makes his way back to the surface, only to be joined by Childs. So here we have Mac and Childs. Is Childs the thing? Is he the one that destroyed the generator? Could Mac possibly have been turned? He was off screen after the thing blew up. But we do know that it doesn't take a whole being to change you. You know, it, it, it only takes the blood. So could Mac have been infected back when they were doing the blood tests? Mm-hmm. So basically, with no generator to get that heat restored and the temperature continuing to drop and no transportation or means to call for help, the only thing to do now is to wait to freeze. But when rescue finally comes, will they discover the corpse of two humans or will the thing be lying in wait and that's how our movie ends yeah i uh was completely blown away by this ending because i went into it thinking that there was sequels i don't know why um i literally thought there was at least like a thing two and a thing three i don't know why and i'm not talking about the dr seuss things (laughs) like like i really thought there was like sequels Uh. so when it ended like i had this moment of like oh that's fine but then you looked at me like, eh? Like, what? How do you? How do you think about? Or <laughs> how do you? <laughs> how do you think about that? Do you think about that quietly? Do you think about that angrily? <laughs> how? How you feeling today? How do you feel about that? <laughs> do you share your feelings with me? Where you at in your life right now? Now that now that this has happened, how you digesting that? Does it change things for you? <laughs> Maybe you want to go back to school or something. I don't know. How? I mean, just tell me where you're at. All right. I'll let you sit with that for a minute. <laughs> Come back and chat with you. 
<laughs> just stewing its juices. <laughs> all right. In all serious, though, lay it on me. I've been dying to know since last night. Well, I mean, the ending in itself, like I said, I went into it thinking that there were sequels. So when it ended the way that it did, and I realized there wasn't, I was shocked because I was like, what? No, I'm sorry. There needs to be something else said about this. I'm going to start a petition. I, I, I need more. But at the same time, I can be okay that this movie is the only one that it is. Mm-hmm. And I like that the ending kind of leaves it open to the audience member to interpret it how they want to. If they want to walk away from it being like, okay, yeah, that they made it and they they won. They killed the thing. They killed um, Blair, you know, in the in that explosion. McCready and, and Child Save the Day. They can walk away and not, not think a single thought deeper and just take it at surface level and be okay with that. But then you can have those that think on it and dwell on it and like you you know get into it deep like you said and the movie overall blew me away because I'll admit at the beginning it was it was a little slow for me now like I said I was fully invested because it was it's one of your favorites but like I said there's those moments in this movie where it transitions deeper and deeper into this uh, level of horror this level of um gore and blood and guts and the psychological horror of it and everything and that for me is what did me in because it it allows you to sit back in your seat relax get introduced and when I say introduced I have to admit that right off the start I wish we had a little bit more character names because you're thrust into a world with a lot of characters and not a lot of names up front. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it had been a while since I had seen this. And when we first started watching it, I actually had to pause it and say, hang on, I got to get everybody's name real quick. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's always been a thing is trying to keep straight who's who. Yeah, and especially uh, for someone like me who is already bad with names immediately. I I think I made note of it twice. I was like, okay, I literally know nobody. I'm, I've resolved myself to knowing that I'm not going to know anybody at this point. I'm just going to, uh, enjoy like the fact that I know one person's name and I'll, I'll hook myself onto that one person (laughs) and, and stick with them. But going back to what I was saying was, uh, I liked that this movie, Despite the fact that initially I felt that it was slow, I like that it allows you to kind of settle back into your seat, but very quickly we're ramped up to the edge of our seat and we sit there for a very long time. And I think that's what switched it for me to become, uh, I think probably, I'd have to say, uh, a new favorite of mine. Just, wow. just because I really did enjoy the whodunit aspect. I don't, I can't say that I... And maybe it'll take me watching it a few more times. I I am just, I think I really was like overwhelmed by the size of the cast and everything. Mm -hmm. I can't say that I particularly felt personable to any of the characters. But regardless, I like how the mystery sets up every character in a way that we can um, side with them and easily turn on them and not trust anybody. And I think, like I said, ultimately, that's what pushed it on. Uh, to my list for me and of course we'll get into the prompts and go into further detail but to be able to take a movie that I I went into with a mind frame of okay this is going to be an alien based horror movie 
while I'm going into it thinking that I'll like it because I, I'm one of those people that I can pretty much go into a movie like any movie. I came out of it realizing that it was far more horror based than sci-fi based and I ended up liking it way more than I thought I would. So to be able to do that and change my mind like that, I, I have to give it huge kudos. Well, that is very high praise for sure. Of course, I'm just over the moon that you liked it. And of course, I have to ask you the big question. Who do you think is left at the end? Do you think they're both human? Or do you think one of them is the thing? I think I want to be, in this case, an optimist and say that they're both human. Mm. I think... You know, normally, especially in my slashers and stuff like that, uh, I can get very, I don't know, kind of jaded, I think, when it comes to those movies, just Mm -hmm. because they, you know, you kind of land on the same tropes. But with this one, we were, like I said, thrust into this whole like 45 minutes of chaos. So coming at this end and really getting to kind of create the own, my own ending in my head of how I want this movie to end. Mm -hmm. I think they've been through some shit and I want them to be human (laughs) and get rescued and go home and have pancakes (laughs) All right, and uh, hug each other and then they fist bump and walk away. (laughs) Well, that's that's quite lovely. So let's talk a bit about the ending, shall we? Well, I think I just said what the ending should be so i think that's and it, i think but. that's great and that is now the ending that we are all gonna know okay okay but let's talk a little bit more okay about the non-ending <laughs> all right <laughs> i believe that it has to end that way because that is the whole entire point of this movie you don't know who the thing is yeah yeah and so it shall end that you don't know who the thing is. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a- appropriate. Yeah. I, uh, you spend this whole movie not trusting anybody. So why would you, you know, immediately at the end be like, okay, I trust these people and, and go out thinking that everybody is fine and dandy, especially <laughs> how, how easily do I say like, uh, you, you don't easily trust people. So I, I think you err on that side of that. So whereas me, I'm like, yeah, they're both human and they're going to go home and have pancakes. You're like, uh, no, one of them's the alien, obviously. So I, I think, uh, I can see it both ways. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Uh, because I agree this, the, the whole movie is about ambiguity and not knowing who's who and who to trust. And not only is, is one person possibly the thing, but, Honestly, he could have pulled a fucking plot twist and everybody's the fucking thing. And we wouldn't have seen that coming either. And that's how good the foundation of this movie is, is not being able to trust your neighbor, your Mm -hmm. bunkmate, your crewmate. But all it takes is you stepping out of a room and them not knowing what you're doing. And that's all it takes for them to want to essentially set you on fire with a flamethrower. So sometimes you don't get along with your roommates. (laughs) it happens (laughs) well i mean you're 100 percent right i I don't trust anybody (laughs) and and that is the way that i approach this ending as well because i do believe that both of them actually end up being the thing at the end Uh, let me get to that in a second what my theory is uh so here's here's the main theory 
that's going around about who, if either of them, is the thing. So there's kind of an urban legend tied to, to this ending, whereas supposedly someone claims that John Carpenter himself said, I don't know why there's this big mystery at the end about who's the thing and who isn't, because if you watch very closely in the final scene when they're both sitting there, as they're talking, you can see Mac's breath. But when Child speaks, you don't see his breath. And so therefore, Child's is not alive and he must be the thing. But <laughs> Carpenter since then has claimed he never said that. So no one knows if that was actually ever said or not. Hmm. But it is true. If you watch that scene, it does not appear like Child's, like you can see his breath. Yeah. But some people say it's just because that was the lighting, the way that it was shot and that angle, you just couldn't see it. Or that he was a little bit closer to the fire, so it, it wasn't cold enough that you could see his breath. It just... There's been many explanations as to why that is, and that doesn't necessarily mean he's the thing. Mm -hmm. So in another interview, Carpenter did say that he knows, he's always known in his head whether or not one of them is the thing and who it is, and he says he will never, ever reveal what that answer is. So I believe at some point Mac does get infected again. Uh, Obviously, at some point after they do the blood test. There's there's plenty of opportunities and it would make perfect sense once he's infected for him to continue to act like the hero that wants to rid everyone of this thing because if he's the hero and it's now dead, no one will be continuing to try and kill him. So if he is infected and if this is viral, meaning it can be transmitted from one person to another, When we see at the end, Mac takes a swig out of his bottle, his alcohol bottle, Mm -hmm. and he hands it to Childs, and Childs takes it and drinks it. And right afterwards, the camera goes back to Mac, and he smirks and kind of laughs a little bit. I noticed that. It's always kind of struck me as if Mac is infected and it's transmittable through his spit then he is now infected childs and the thing survives. Yeah, that's interesting because I did notice that that smirk because I was a little bit, I was caught off guard because I didn't understand what was funny. Like I didn't understand why he smirked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought, I just kind of brushed it off as nothing more, but to pose it that way, I think it's very interesting. All right. Well, it's about time we get to these prompts. I'm, uh, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. <laughs> So let's just get to it. What was your popcorn spiller? So when I jumped into these, I initially told you, I was like, I I don't know how I'm going to be able to narrow these down. Uh, And I really didn't know. So I kind of, I forced myself to kind of spread everything out evenly. And I I don't know if I cheated or not, but uh, my popcorn spiller for me, I, I was pretty definitive because it was the scene where we have the unveiling of our two-faced, half-stretch-faced figure, creepy guy from the other camp. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they pull the blanket off of him, and he's, like, steaming, I think, from the temperature change or whatever. Right, he's thawing out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're that's when we're kind of first introduced to the actual 
gory practical effects that we're going to be um, kind of slammed with near the ending of this movie. And I would, I would literally like, I think opened my mouth and then kind of like sat there smiling. Cause I was like really impressed and shocked with how good it looked. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, but how well it had aged because something could look good back then look amazing, but that doesn't mean that it still looks good, but it did. It still looked amazing. And, you know, immediately I was like, uh, I want that like as a statue or something in the pot room or something. Uh, but that was definitely the popcorn spiller because it really, I think, set the tone for like what was going to be coming up next, which was just even more great and amazing effects. What about for you? Well, for me, I, I kind of had to do two or maybe I have one with an honorable mention. And, you know, I talked about them when we got to those points in the episode. And my main one is when the blood jumps out of that damn Petri dish, it, mm-hmm. even though I know it's coming every freaking time. And it's almost like they did it like a half a beat later than you're expecting it. Because yeah. it just it always it's like just a step too long. And I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> so that definitely is obviously a popcorn spiller. If I had it, it would have gone flying. Uh <laughs> But my honorable mention, really the thing that has always haunted me, you know, if you mention the thing to me and I'm not sitting there currently thinking about it, the first thing that's going to pop in my head is that scene of Benning down on the ground with his giant creepy claws and just that moaning scream with his mouth held. Just the look in his eyes, it's so haunting. Yeah. I don't know. It just hits me in my soul. Yeah. (laughs) What's going on there, but... Yeah, it it gets me good. Yeah, I, I I just love that. How, again, this is something we mentioned time and time again about how unique horror is to every viewer, and I love how specific things like that can affect different people. Because I remember that scene, and I like I said, I remember jokingly thinking about salad fingers, but it, it I thought it was good. I thought it was creepy, but I didn't really think a whole lot about it. But it's interesting how it affected you so much. And I, I love that different scenes like that can affect people differently. So what was your scene sealer for this movie? You said he was kind of spoon fed to us and you're absolutely right. And I will take that meal in a day because I love me some Mac. I just have adored him. It's another one of those characters. It's kind of like what Matt Hooper is to me in Jaws. I can't explain what it is, but there's just... Something about him that I just adore. His every being just says, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. And it's going to end up being the right thing. (laughs) You know, it's just that whole attitude. And normally that would make you a son of a bitch. But on him, it's charming. And I just, I adore him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you? Who was your scene stealer? Uh, That was Jed. Aww. The dog. Yeah, I really did put that because, like I said, I, I we consume a lot of horror content outside of um, horror movies, so I, I already knew that the dog was a little sus going into the movie. So I immediately, you know, were thrust into a kind of uh, shocking scene, seeing this helicopter chasing this dog and the dog being shot at. So immediately, I was like, Ah, I don't like this. <laughs> I'm immediately uncomfortable. Knowing what's going to happen, I'm like, I'm leery of you, big guy, but you're still awfully cute, so I want to give you scritches, (laughs) but also am scared. 
And then I found myself like after the whole uh, dog bursting demogorgon scene, I found myself <laughs> throughout my notes. I wrote down that I didn't trust anybody, that I only trusted Jed and I wanted Jed back. <laughs> so, <laughs> But Jed was the first to betray you. It doesn't matter. I wanted Jed. <laughs> so I kept using like the dog as like my comfort item throughout the whole movie. So Aww. like he was my scene stealer because even when he was on the screen, I was suspect of him and I kept my eye on him. And even when he wasn't on the screen, I kept an eye out for him. So <laughs> wanted him to come back. <laughs> Well, he was a very good boy. All right, so that brings us to Gorgasm. Yeah, I think this was the one that I ended up having to uh, cheat on. I wrote down literally this whole movie. Uh, <laughs> I I love the effects overall. I, I was blown away by them. I couldn't, I, I can't gush about them enough. They were so well done. Uh, they completely surpassed my expectations for what I thought this movie was going to be able to do. But I think if I really had to sit down and pick one, I think it's, I mean, it's probably cliche, but for me, it's, it's the, it's a head scene. Spider head. Yeah. It's yeah. not cliche because that's my answer as well. <laughs> and I will not let it be cliche. Yeah. It, it's, it's so good. It's brilliant. It, it's to this day. One of the most amazing effects I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I challenge anyone to watch just that scene and tell me it does not look amazing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look like a practical effect. It's one of those scenes you watch and you go, how did they do that? Yeah. How did they do that and make it look like that little fucking thing is walking across the floor? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so good. And I I loved the whole drama of it like I liked that this scene was so spread out because every kind of flash of the gore scenes thus far has pretty much been a flash now the two-faced figure we do kind of get to linger on that but we we linger on it in a way of being introduced mm -hmm. to what these figures can look like uh, this is being introduced to all the extreme parts of what this figure can do. And I love that we get to sit on that and, and watch as the tendons stretch and the neck falls and everything. And I was so eager to see that scene because this is a scene you've gushed about every single time you talk about this movie. <laughs> and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I love that you're always so passionate about this scene. And, and just I was really eager to see it. But I'll admit, not knowing how well it would age, I was a little bit like, I hope this really does like meet her expectations because you had set the bar pretty high and and it it surpassed it in my mind it was just really really well done chef's kiss so that leads us to memorable mortality who was that for you uh, for me it's it's palmer after they do that test and he's busted the minute he just starts a vibrating <laughs> Just, it's like oh shit yeah yeah here we go and just the whole just that whole sequence is just absolutely mind-blowing yeah yeah it's amazing yeah uh oddly enough that's who I put too oh really <laughs> yeah yeah I was at first a little bit torn because I was so focused on trying to squeeze everybody in and I had kind of forgotten about Palmer and then I remember Palmer scene and I was like that's that's it that's like my favorite death because of how again how dramatic it's done and mm -hmm. I love the explosion of the face I like that it's simultaneously melting but also like inflating at the same time mm -hmm. I don't know how that's done but they did it and it's effective and it looks real and also 
gross at the same time. It's just really cool, and I like the the whole head bitey action that we get there. Mm-hmm. Love that. So yeah, all of it. That scene, memorable, more tality. Yeah, it is a an amazing sequence, and I, I think one more time we got to give it up to Rob Botine, who just did a phenomenal job. You know, he actually ended up putting in so many hours to try and get this done. He would literally work like seven days a week. He would sleep at the studio so he could take basically like little power naps and just go right back to work. He ended up being hospitalized for exhaustion just because he worked himself to the bone on this one. But man, if it didn't pay off. Yeah, I was about to say, I think this is one of those where the passion paid off because it's truly like... I think a really well-aged piece of art. Yeah, absolutely. And and what is so unfortunate is that because of the rap that it got when it first came out with everybody kind of dogging it, you know, it it missed the opportunity to be recognized for anything. Yeah. And and, and that's a shame because uh, it, it's just so fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that leads us to the big question. Does it go in the vault or are we leaving it in the dead zone? I gotta say dead zone. I don't think we can put this in the vault. So you'll be staying with it then? (laughs) No, that's too scary out there. (laughs) I'm staying in here. Well, then it's going in the vault. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I, I didn't know going into it how I would feel about it. You know, I, I didn't know if I would have to be like, Sorry, but I just don't know if, <laughs> if you I really were gonna like have to it. hurt my feelings. Yeah, uh, but I did. I I loved it, and it's. I mean, to be able to have that experience immediately, I was like, "This is going in there. It's it's too good. The effects are too good. The effects alone would put it in there for me." But then you add in how well it's aged, the amazing cast, and and everything else. It just it was an automatic duh. Yep. <laughs> Yeppers. Well, of course, it's a it's a nod for me. It's it's got to go in the vault. It's it's been one of my favorites. I was probably about 14 or 15 when I saw it for the first time. And it's been up there ever since. Since you were a wee baby thing. Since I was a wee babe of horror fan. (laughs) Well, I I'm just I'm so pleased that uh, that you enjoy it and could appreciate the joy that, that that this gore can bring you. This, this is the fun kind of gore. Yeah, absolutely. That's another word that I think absolutely describes this movie is, is how fun it is. Even the intense moments, it's still fun because you're on the edge of your seat and you're enjoying the fact that you're fully engaged in this movie. And to have a movie that can do that, that doesn't happen often. I gauge a movie if it's interesting to me whether I can put my phone down. <laughs> and as sad as that is, it's the way it is. And for, for a movie to be able to do that for me, it easily piques my interest and makes me want to dive in more. I, that's, again, why I love being able to do this podcast, uh, because it gives me an opportunity to sit down and appreciate these movies for what they are. And, and granted, thus far, we haven't really come across any that aren't going in the vault so the bad will come with the good and and right now while we're still sitting in all these amazing classics i'm glad that this got to be one of them for sure 
Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode number nine is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no money's honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is deadzonedrivein at P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Also, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link tree URL to our socials and our letterbox, which is a site and app to keep up with all the movies we're watching. Lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be rounding out the top 10 list watching The Exorcist. Wow. Talk about a heavy hitter. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be interesting. I can't remember if I've seen this movie since the first time I watched it. Which was a very long time ago. I was a wee baby. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob. At last week's screening, they gave out free copies of their new single, She Likes My Peanuts, only available on cassette, oddly enough. I literally twerked to it the whole night. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. And people are screaming, and Mac this whole time has been trying to get the flame flower to grow, but it won't fire. And <laughs> you said that wrong. Oh, he said flame flower to <laughs> flame flower to grow. <laughs> they want to see my flame flower. This thing can flow some flame. Like you wouldn't it's believe. It's growing so tall. Did you see how tall it is? It's like seven feet now. <laughs> and it flows like nobody's business. I was going to let it go because you were really just growling. When I was like, no, she really didn't mess that up, I think. So <laughs> I could be wrong, but I really think that's what you said. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.